Welcome to the Movie Vault. I'm Ben. And I am Zach. Well, Zach, it's been a little bit, has it not? Yeah, I don't know how long, actually. Sometimes we don't like to acknowledge breaks. We like to act like they didn't exist. But this time, I think we'll acknowledge it mm. and we'll reflect upon it. Mm. Powerful. Because a lot of things have happened since the last recording of the Movie Vault. Really? Have they not? What? Well, first of all, I got engaged. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Okay. Did I not tell you that Congratulations. yet? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you should have told me probably yeah <laughs> by now this is How so long our, has it been? it's been let's see it's almost been three months i think and you almost. didn't tell me this whole time no seriously no i did tell you what no i i, I told you what no i didn't well did i maybe i haven't maybe i haven't interesting okay, okay. well i'm no, and we, so because of that i haven't been able to record the movie vault until now okay all right, Ben. What? Anything else? <laughs> Actually, there is one more thing, Zach. What? So, three years ago, oh, no. three and a half years ago, we started the Movie Vault. And little did I know that it would be the chronicling of you and I becoming best friends. Yes. And uh, in the moments that are to come in my future, there's no one who I'd rather be the best man in my wedding than you. Would you be willing to be the best man in my wedding to Emma Anglin in 2024? Yes, of course. I was expecting this, and I'm very happy for you to ask. You, oh, you're, you predicted it? Of course. Well, you, did you predict it for me to do it like right now on the, on oh, the, no. on the podcast? No, because okay. I'm just finding out about that you're engaged. Well, right, yeah. So, but, so I asked him to engage and be in the wedding, so we got everything squared away, so we're good to go. Then I would love to. It would be awesome. Yeah. I, well, that's that's great because it truly has. If, if you've listened to our podcast, it's been the chronicling of of, of our friendship, essentially. Yeah. Um, and if you want to be really close friends with somebody, I'd recommend starting a, a almost 100 episodes of a podcast with them. And then I should what I should do to reminisce is go back and listen to every single one. That would be great. You know, I've already re- I've already have everything scripted. You do. Yeah. For this episode? No. <laughs> for your wedding. For my wedding? Oh, okay. So he's already planned ahead. <laughs> I already have everything done. He didn't even know about the engagement, but he already had a plan. Because <laughs> I was expecting it, you know? <laughs> Who else? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, man. Anyway, I don't have any updates in my life, so... Okay, well, it's the same old boring Zach. Yep, pretty much. Just uh, waiting for medical schools to... You know, to get give, back. Give me a chance. <laughs> Come on, please. <laughs> please. I'm on my knees. <laughs> okay. I'll do anything. Okay. I'll do any. I'll do anything. <laughs> you you laugh, but I will. Um. Anyway, no. Thank you. That's yeah. great. So, the movie today is Killer of Sheep. We're gonna have two killer movies in a row. Two killers of something yep. in a row. Uh, first sheep, then for the flower moon. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The floral moon, if you will. Yes. Um, Killer of Sheep was released in 1978, but primarily filmed in 1972 to 73. And this will be the first ever student film that we have covered on the movie vault. This is a student film. Yeah. Wow, I missed that. Did How you, did I miss did you, that? Did you not miss? Did you miss that? I must yeah, it's, have. It's a. Uh, it was originally submitted, so maybe I think it might have been re-released um, to by Burnett to the UCLA School of Film as his master of fine arts thesis oh, in 1977. I know he submitted it to UCLA. I thought it was, I didn't know that was in his, the school. Yeah, that's his, Interesting. he was in film school and that's, this was his thesis. Um, 
Although I did see that it maybe won some awards, so it might have gotten submitted at, to like film festivals and stuff as well. Because it said it won the Critics Award at the Berlin Film Festival and stuff at the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, okay, this is interesting. This movie actually didn't get a, lot, a wide release because of the music rights. So the soundtrack actually prevented it from really getting a big release, and it did. It wasn't. It didn't really see get much attention for the next thirty years until they were able to like. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody took it and that's released interesting. It at that I'm point. glad they kept everything together because yeah. the soundtrack really does. It's important yeah. for the whole. Um, well, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because, um, considering what we'll talk about with this film, uh, it and that it was submitted as a student film. He wasn't necessarily thinking like, oh, this is going to be a movie that needs to be sent to a widespread audience. So as far as copyrights, it might not have been the, at the forefront of Charles Burnett's mind when he was creating the film. Hmm. But yeah, that's great. I, I know that it's since then been placed in many, many beautiful places where films should go, uh, where beautiful films should go specifically, as such as the Library of Congress, which doesn't always, by the way, have great films in there. Okay, I'm just saying the Library no. of Congress isn't the standard. Okay, it's, it's really not. It's not. Okay, if Encanto goes in there, it's over. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. What Encanto's going to the Library? Of I don't Congress? know. I'm just saying. Yeah, it shouldn't. <laughs> but it maybe. I mean, it could happen. You're right. But it was on. It was one of the first fifty in the National Film Registry, and the National Society of Film Critics selected it as one of the 100 essential films of all time. Wow. Which is interesting. That is interesting. That's a. That's a big. For a really short, I mean, this movie's eighty minutes. Yeah, eighty minutes. It's a really short film. Pretty, I know a co- it's a coherent theme, but incoherent plot. I'd no, say. Yeah, it's not. There's no arcs or plots to this movie. That, that that's kind of what it said. Like when I was reading Wikipedia article, it was like, yeah, there is no consistent like. They're like essentially little vignettes, but they don't. They're not like vignettes in the sense of like the Coen brothers ballad of Buster Scruggs where it's like, there's this vignette and then there's this vignette. Yeah. They're like in the same world, but they're like loosely attached to each other. Yeah. And it's strange. It, it really just kind of shows the impact this film has made on uh, cinema and on society as a whole. Um, I had heard of this film many times. Have you heard of it before? I had not I pitched actually. It I had not heard of this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it is it is kind of an emotional movie when you watch it. Yes. There are some there are some scenes in particular where I caught myself like not not able to like understand what was going on because I was like, "Wow, this is this is a powerful scene." And especially some of the deep things between Stan and his wife, I forget. Yes. Um, yeah. Those are those are some really powerful things and then just showing different glimpses into different areas of different people's lives within this uh neighborhood of Watts in Los Angeles. Um yeah, I mean, the, you can for some somehow you don't you don't need a plot to feel power. That's the thing about a film. Um, yeah, you don't have to be part of. Yeah, you don't have to have main characters or anything like any structure to understand what's going on in the themes. Um, it can be just as sad. So we'll see. Um, we'll see kind of where this goes. But uh, do you have a short synopsis of I, this? Film? I do have a short oh, synopsis. Perfect. So it says in Watts, an urban and mostly African American section of Los Angeles, Stan, played by Henry Gale Sanders, spends his life toiling away at a local slaughterhouse. His macabre profession steps into his personal life as he struggles to keep his family afloat and content. Other life situations also prove to be difficult, since it seems that dark intentions lurk within the people he meets outside his family. 
The layers of stress cause stand to question whether a better quality of life is possible. Hmm. That's actually an interesting way to frame it. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm not sure I would have uh, been able to summarize it that well if I tried to summarize it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because the film offers no solutions. No. The film just kind of presents it in a bleak and s- subtle way to show that this is just what it is. There, There's nothing you can do. And that's why these, these people are finding solace in the most simple things, such as like a cup of coffee or uh, holding your wife and dancing or holding your daughter or, you know, like the most things that <laughs> we would think are, <laughs> you know, just, you know, if someone calls you while you're doing one of those things, you say, I'm doing nothing. What's up? You know? Yeah, but exactly. But for them, it's, it's right. an activity they're doing. Um, it's the simple beauty and I said booty. <laughs> it's the simple beauty in life that kind of uh, is important. And it, it, it kind of shows like that they these people in these situations are able to find it um, a little bit easier than we are in our distracted civilization. That's that's more of an application of this film rather than yeah. the theme. But the theme itself is this is what it is. This is Watts in the 70s, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's really it's just showing us glimpses. Yeah. Different areas of life. Things it, don't always work out. Sometimes the engine falls out of the trunk or of the or falls yeah, out of the bed that, of the truck. That scene was so funny because it was like, they definitely need to move that engine back. <laughs> like you were like, he was like, no, it'll be fine. And I'll say that. I was like, no, it won't. What, what was he? I, I don't know why he let that guy talk him into. And he wasn't even mad at that him. Guy. I, was, yeah. I thought he was going to yell. He was like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that engine's busted now. We're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, but it is true. Any amount of yelling stressing would not make the engine come back Mm -hmm. so it's like the way they reacted to it actually is kind of like yeah well what else can you actually do you're not gonna be able to fix the engine so and that situation kind of shows stan's attitude as a whole throughout this film right he doesn't get mad at his wife and yell he he the only time he really gets angry is when his friends keep approaching him about this stupid idea uh that they have Uh, but other than that you know he's in a loveless marriage basically he's um you know, he's at a dead end job that he 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 doesn't really like his job. He's because he was looking at different places, but he didn't want to get shot up in a um, that store that that woman said she'd hire him at. Um, so he's slaughtering sheep, right, left and right. He's yep. just going through the assembly line, taking these sh- weird looking dead sheep and putting them on hooks and it skinning took, them. It took me a little bit to actually get to the slaughterhouse, but we did get to see some some slaughterhouse action. Yeah, and those scenes were great. Just watching and seeing how it's done that's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, but it just showed the ins and outs of this guy's life. Like he doesn't, he's not happy anywhere. You know, he's got maybe a couple friends that he might enjoy spending time with, but when he comes home, he's not. Yeah, he's not there. When he's home, he's not home. So, another thing I thought was pretty interesting was just the interactions between all these people in the neighborhoods. They, you know, deep down have respect for each other, but they're constantly arguing. They're constantly fighting. These friends. Um, and especially the kids, just how cruel some of these kids are to each other. Oh, yeah. Um, just showing just these the, kids are placed in this situation and they're hurting each other. There was that one scene where they were like on the roof and they were like throwing rocks at each other. And there's the one kid who like gets hit in the head. And he's, it, the, I think the end of the scene is him just like kind of like laying down and just like look. And he's like left all alone. And it's like he's hurting. And that's like the end of the scene. There's no like <laughs> so anybody coming to comfort him or anything. No, it's like, yeah, yeah the kid, the kids can be very cruel. Or there's like multiple scenes of people like stealing things. Um, 
there's a one scene where they're like riding a bike and then they like wreck it in front of the car and they just start running away like i was like i don't even know what they did that they have to Mm -hmm. sprint away from that i guess they almost caused an accident i don't know Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of interesting scenes in that regard yeah and i think of the one where they're just playing in this industrial park pretty much this broken down building in the middle of the rubble and they're just uh they have like the shield and they're like chasing going after each other they're throwing the rocks and dirt still and this guy gets all this dirt in his eyes and they're like don't you know don't hurt him stop hurting him and then they just beat the guy that guy up and they just (laughs) it was just yeah i mean these kids i mean that's just how they play i mean that's that's kind of it's it's presenting that as a normal thing for them um but it, it just shows just how yeah i don't know how different I want to say I want to use the word different for now and we can get into what different means but how different those neighborhoods were um, and some of them still are today Um, just you know in these predominantly African-American neighborhoods in Los Angeles or Chicago or wherever you might uh, find yourself Um, there are other you know obviously other races there as well but um, that how unlike you know the people who are watching these films are not going to be the people who are exposed are in these neighborhoods. Yeah, that's actually, that's very so true. I'm wondering what, what Charles was kind of thinking when he was making this film, if it's more of an exposure film to kind of show that these neighborhoods exist, or if it's more of a film to say that we should do something, or if it's more of a film that is kind of just making a statement of this is what America has become. I have kind of an answer for that. Go for it. So I watched a brief interview with Charles Burnett, And when he was talking about the film, he said he noticed that there was a lot of movies that and and you have to keep in mind, he was going to UCLA film school. So I from what I know, UCLA and USC are pretty prestigious film schools. And it makes sense because they're in L.A., which is like where filmmaking is kind of centered at. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I don't and I think he grew up in neighborhood. I don't know if he grew up in Watts, but he grew up in neighborhoods like Watts that that were impoverished. So he saw people making movies about the working class where they kind of like glamorized it and simplified the issues that people in the working class face faced. So he said he wanted to make a film that that reflected that didn't wait. uh, See if I wrote this down right. That didn't reflect his values, but what was going on in the community without him imposing on it. So it's not it's not supposed to be a movie that's like Charles Burnett solving the issues. It's like a supposed to be as much of a hands-off portrayal of what living life in a community like this is actually like. Hmm. Which seems like it could be fairly difficult to pull off in terms of like acting but the only way you can do it I think is if you grew up in an environment like this. And he said, he would he went on to say if I can remember correctly that he realized that he can only really show his experience so it may not be representative of the entire community like purely mm-hmm. but as best as he can that was what his goal was with the movie i i didn't finish the interview so he might have gone on to explain even more but that's kind of what i got out of got out of what he was explaining yeah it seemed i agree it seemed like he was trying to be as hands-off as possible um it, it was interesting a lot of these actors did grow up in these places so i didn't know that but the interesting part to me was that although he gave a hands-off approach and he offered uh, no solutions to the film, he kind of showed that there can be beauty found within uh, some of these scenes. 
mm-hmm. you know, just in the simple interactions between, you know, uh, Stan and his friends. Um, he seems to actually care about one of his, I forget, one of his friends. I don't know his name. Um, and even some maybe hope within his marriage at some point, even if yeah. it doesn't last till the end of the film. Um, and then obviously his daughter, I think Stan really cares about his daughter. So there are some small moments of beauty within this that Charles probably put in there, to be honest. Um, if I had to think about that, I don't know if that's a hands-off approach. Cause I don't know if that happens. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult because I, I, I don't, it could still maybe be hands-off, but maybe it would just feel like an empty movie if there was no like human emotion involved in it at all. Like they had there, even though it's as loose of a story st- structure and everything as possible, there's still like threads of like something that's happening. Like when, even when you're saying the tensions with the marriage, they, I don't know. They ever explicitly talk about their marriage and problems, but you can just see in their facial expressions, how they interact with each other, that something's going on. Mm-hmm. And, like to the way that you interpret that so it's not probably it probably is not completely hands-off but he's trying his best to do that Mm -hmm. that this is the approach he's trying to take which was maybe like a a reaction or a criticism to some of the other people who are making movies in in a similar light like who might over dramatize or uh, make stories that weren't authentic to the situation they're Mm kind of using a background that's not not one they're familiar with. I'm not, it's not necessarily wrong to make movies like that. It's just you have to know that that's a certain kind of movie and it's going to be different than this type of movie. Yeah. And I think moving into nowadays, there there's probably is a decent amount of movies that you can think of that that aren't as incoherent in terms of plot as this movie, but are like filmed in this like realist kind of present people as like show people in like tough moments uh, that seem relatively realistic to what people have to face mm-hmm. in their day-to-day lives. Like, think of like some A twenty-four movies like that, or yeah, or stuff like that. I think Roger Ebert says it pretty well. He says Burnett regards their faces, lives, children, friends, and neighbors in a loosely strung together series of episodes that don't add up too much, while somehow they add up to everything. Um, yeah. So it, it is interesting. Uh, Ebert also said. He, instead of making larger statements about these characters, he's kind of choosing to show them uh, engaged in, in their daily routines and striving to succeed and then also failing, uh, which kind of makes up life. And this is all, as Ebert says, because of poverty and little freedom of choice that they have, um, which leads me leads you into the title, kind of the title of this film, The Killers of she- Killer of Sheep. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's saying that these African-American families are the sheep. And the killer is just the system that is set up in in these to even make these neighborhoods exist. Um, and the consensus, the internet consensus, was pretty similar, <laughs> um, which isn't surprising, you know, um, that this film. It it is surprising that this film kind of came out in what is it, 1978? Um, yeah. And that there was a film like this in 1978. Um, yeah. Kind of highlighting these aspects of um, these neighborhoods. Right. I think looking back at or his influences or what he's described to uh, be who he's described to be influenced by. Um, he said that he was influenced by Jean Renoir, Basil Wright and Federico Fellini. I have not seen anything by Basil Wright because he is a documentary filmmaker, which kind of makes sense. That he was influenced by somebody who is like a documentary filmmaker, because in some senses you're like 
this is like a a fake documentary before that was even like a thing that people did parks and rec yeah but uh renoir i've seen one movie from it was like a movie about world war one and fellini of course eight and a half i've seen in maybe one of his other movies and he's he's known for being a little bit more surreal which isn't exactly what Burnett's doing here i i think uh, the Italian neorealists are the people that he's really like compared to hmm. from like the forties, like Robert Rossellini not have not gotten to the point where I've seen anything by them, but you'll, they you'll have they to made, explain for the common folk uh, <laughs> yeah. what that is. So neorealism, I, from what I can tell is a movement in Italian filmmaking. That was like, it was really about just like grounding films in reality. So, I mean, even, uh, it started in Italy. Even A Man Escaped is kind of like a, a neo-realist movie. And so is that a... Set, it's not Italian neo-realist. Yeah. It came after that. But okay. um, like the purity of, of film making to feel like it doesn't have to be this fantastical thing. It's like can be an actual story about something that could actually happen in someone's life hmm. as close as we could possibly make it. Like you, you have, obviously have to say if you're making something fiction, it's never going to actually live up to real life especially as soon as you start adding narrative structures to it. Definitely. But, definitely. But at closer to it. And I think that that hadn't really been seen in the U S much until seventies. I also 70s, think, yeah. I also think then over the course of our, our podcast, it's been interesting. I have begun to appreciate ambiguity. Okay. I used to like clear cut films, uh, but ambiguity is kind of because ambiguity doesn't mean that there isn't an answer. It just means that the director doesn't say the answer, even if there is one. Right. What I got sick of is when there isn't an answer and the director leaves it at that. When, like, in life, you won't be able to find one. But in this, I mean, the scenes are, you, you, you what did Roger Ebert say? He says, it's nothing, but it's also everything. You get everything from this film. Yeah. And it amounts to that because you feel that these people are stuck in this situation. They're not happy and they're being, you know, I'm, you know, the word is that this film would probably point toward is oppression or something like that. And something that shows that these people are forced into these scenarios. It's not their choice. You know, he, be, he gave, uh, I mean, and I, I think that Ebert kind of got this film a little correct as usual, because, um, Charles Burnett kind of gives many scenarios where these characters don't necessarily have a choice to make. They're kind of just going about doing whatever. Even the one choice Stan is given is an offer to this one job, and he says he won't do it because he doesn't want to die. That's not a choice, okay? That's not that's not a choice. So I, I'm 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 tempted to to read into this film a little bit more, but I also want to leave it a little ambiguous as well because I think. Although Ebert is correct in his assessment of what this film is, I think Charles Burnett is really not giving an answer like Ebert's giving an answer. I think it's more of showing that this exists and not presenting an answer because Charles isn't pretentious enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think so. I, I think he maybe has his own ideas in his personal life as far as like what should be done or he... But he even talked about going back and living in those areas after he went to film school, I think is what he said in the interview. And he said he kind of realized like the dire- the way he thought about things and the direction of his life wasn't similar to. Th- so even though he came from the background, he had kind of became a person who was different from mm-hmm. those people. I don't know how his journey took him to where the point where he got to UCLA to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. You'd have to think he overcame a few obstacles <laughs> to get there. But but Charles also knew like he yeah. he lived in these places like yeah this so he's also he, he knows these solutions he knows like like there has to be changes in government there has to be changes here yeah. and this like that but he doesn't do that because he's trying to just show what it is and that there is a problem right he's, he's not trying to be like political about it like truly he's not. no he's he's act, um, it's he's not it's um, a very interesting. Uh, in different way than most people would attack a subject like this. Yeah. And he, I mean, he shot this film in his old neighborhood. Yeah. Like this was his family's home when he, where he grew up. And That's these true. things are probably paralleling many situations. Yeah. You'd have to think life. that a lot of the things, a lot of the scenes with kids were like things that happened that he mm-hmm. like was a part of. There was something about the scene where the kids are jumping over and like, and somebody is one critic said it's like the the kids have more mobility than the older adults who are like looking up at them mm-hmm. i don't know that could be uh, that's just one person's interpretation you could start reading <laughs> into like the movements i was like i don't actually know what that means like did the did the kids actually have better opportunities than the adults did like it didn't seem like it in the movie exactly but maybe it's like they had more physical capability to like come up with new ideas mm-hmm. to but it was also like at some point you were like these kids are also being kids like the weight of of life hasn't hit them yet like sure they're not growing up in like amazing financial situations like the one girl skipping school and the other girl's like well you're gonna get behind (laughs) and then the scene cuts right there that also shows like these kids are worried about problems that kids shouldn't have to worry about (laughs) yeah like i I can't go to school but some of these kids are still like they're they're kids still they they maybe face problems earlier than most kids do but oh for sure but they they still get get that experience of like childlike wonder and and playfulness Mm -hmm. and and meanness and bullying and everything and all that comes with being a kid yeah the name but it's you see what like if nothing changes the their what they have to look forward to in their life looks bleak so that's yeah. what the movie presents one of the most interesting things about this film was its budget less than ten thousand dollars mostly grant money from ucla um, and that's what i just want to say nobody has any excuse <laughs> this is so, a reservoir dogs type of film yeah and now of course charles burnett is seems like a brilliant guy so he obviously knew what he was doing. It helps that he had got schooling, so he knew how to work with ten thousand dollars, which was thirty-eight thousand dollars in current, which sounds like a little bit more than in <laughs> current. Really. In, if, if you count for inflation, sure. But that's still not a lot of money for a film. But yeah, and it worked out well because the actors are not actors; they're really his friends and family in that neighborhood. <laughs> So. <laughs> that's crazy well that they said uh i didn't realize john casavetes was another guy from the 70s who's known for like using people who are like just regular people and yeah. turning them into actors and it can work very well for movies like this if you can figure out how to coach people to do it because mm-hmm. obviously as soon as you put a camera on someone they start acting differently mm-hmm. it's hard to get them to be like don't just act like you're act in real life yeah <laughs> yeah i was lo- i just looked up uh, italian neorealist films the Bicycle Thief, which is yeah, one that, that I fam- really want to watch. That's a famous one. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, anyway. But Burnett kind of went on to make a few other films, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. So this kind of was a springboard uh, for his future films. He did, um, well, in the, actually, before we get into that, maybe we should talk about the film itself. Um, and then maybe its influences and in future things. Um, 
I w- there were a couple scenes I wanted to talk about. Um, particularly, this there was a scene where Stan and his wife are trying. You know, they're trying, and they're in this living room and they're dancing to this music, and it's like a two-minute scene, and they just keep dancing and dancing, and you can just see Stan's face. He's not even making eye contact. He's not even looking or paying attention. He doesn't know she's there, right? To him, she's nothing at that point. Um, and she, for her, he is all she has besides her daughter. And she is really, really tried. She puts on the makeup when he comes home. You know, she has dinner ready. She's like trying to look her best and doing everything yeah. she can and get everything ready for him. And he comes home and just doesn't talk to her. Um, and then this dance scene happens later on in the film. And he just walks away, and she just starts crying by the window. And it's yeah. the most, one of the most sad scenes. That scene, did, it was heartbreaking. Um, yeah. It, it was interesting. Just Stan, I don't know. I know Stan, the character of Stan, we're not supposed to look at him as a character. We're supposed to look at him as a person, right? Instead of a character. That's what Charles is going for. But Stan what's going make, on with him? Yeah. I, yeah, what's going on, Stan? I, I actually couldn't figure it out because I guess normally – like in this relationship it's clear that like it's one-sided and it's the wife who wants stan and stan is like just being but you can't it never there's nothing to key you into why it, whether it's just like all the stress in his life is making him like a ghost that's sort of how some people describe it like he's he's or how that one plot description that i use is like all the layers of stress but like if his family is one of the things he cares about and is causing his stress, it seems like it doesn't make sense that he's not like leaning into like trying to love his wife. It's, it's a little strange, but I've also never been in that circumstance where I'm, uh, I'm slaughtering <laughs> sheep for my job. And no, yeah, I, I thought know. you were about to know. say in a loveless marriage. I was like, <laughs> well, I, hopefully I have not been in, I've not married yet. And hopefully I won't be in a That's loveless true. marriage, but yeah, it is tough. And poor daughter. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, all these parts, I mean, they're, they, if they parallel Burnett's life, you know, yeah, it's just sad. And I'm wondering if he adds those particular nuances to the film to make it seem worse or if those actually existed in his life. I don't know. Yeah. Like were those his parents? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, he might not, he might have never said. Yeah, Definitely. There were a couple other scenes that kind of just showed some kids. Um, we talked about the kids playing with each other, but then there were some where there was these little girls uh, jump roping and whatever, playing on a bike and stuff like that, just calling each other the most ruthless names. Um, I remember what, that part was pretty funny to me. Um, yeah, I recall a scene of um, the two the two guys that were trying to steal the TV yep. um, out of that one older man's house. And then they were those the same two guys. I think they were that approach him about um, about yeah being a part of the the robbery robbery. So yeah, I mean, and the scene where uh, they go to that one guy's house to get the engine. Yeah, and it's like this really weird situation where there's like this guy who's been beat up by this guy named Adolf, and <laughs> he got beat up by Adolf and Boulevard. <laughs> what the heck? Um, and and he's just like a complete buffoon, or yeah, complete buffoon. <laughs> and then he's like the nephew of the guy, and the the guy's wife is there, and he's like starts hitting on her, and then she like kicks him in the head again. He's bleeding, and they're like he's bleeding out. 
Knuckles like, do you think I care? Does it look like I care? Shouldn't have kept his mouth running. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't have kept his mouth running. uh, Yeah, there are some bits of humor in in this movie where you're just like some characters are like super outlandish and funny. Yeah. Also, the backdrop of this film, you know, you're around train tracks, you're around broken buildings, you're in these neighborhoods where cars aren't driving by. I thought that all of that added well together. Plus, you know, the black and white gritty style of the camera work. It was all yeah. hand, handheld cameras, um, and that was intentional. Not just because of the budget. <laughs> Maybe they could say that post. Um, yeah, they're like, well, that was an, an artistic choice there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think all of that made it a pretty cohesive and coherent film. Um, you know, you can take those scenes as you wish. I really don't want to connect them. I don't think they're really supposed to. Um, we kind of have to look at the framework that we have been given by the director to kind of interpret the film. And all that is is just, this exists. That's the statement that's made. That's right. what this film has done. And boy, oh boy, did it really influence and show the world that this exists, um, In the at least in the film world. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. the people living in those situations didn't have to watch this film to know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, this movie might be kind of boring to those people. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, honestly, to most people, I was thinking like, you know, nothing's really happening. What would my, what would other people say? Um, yeah, for it being eighty minutes, it feels like a longer film than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think what struck me in this film was just the the raw emotion of some of these relationships. I think the the merit, the loveless marriage for somehow affected me the most, you know, the most loving and caring guy that, you know, Ben, me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is affected the most by uh, that marriage. Um, and I think I'll remember that scene for at least a little bit, maybe the next five or six years. And then maybe it leaves my memory. Um, but there were a couple other um, films that Charles Burnett made after this. Um, my brother's wedding, the horse, several friends. And when it rains, um, Then there was Bless Their Little Hearts and um, that he wrote the script for. He gives this kind of human-centric vision of the African-American experience. These are his own words. Um, And has become, obviously, an amazing director because of that. Um, And each each, um, film that he makes, he kind of has different stories that kind of unfold within them. Obviously, it's a film. And in each of these stories, um, the audience gets to kind of peer into these different facets of what his experience was in that neighborhood um, and what he likes to call emotional realism, which is what pretty much summi- uh, summarizes what I felt. Um, you know. I mean, he's still alive today. Oh, good. For some reason I thought he had passed. Well, I, I had thought he passed actually. No, he's still alive. Cause he's born in 1944. 79 years old. Oh, 79 years young. Yeah. That's not that old. What's what Scorsese at right now? <laughs> I think he's a little bit older than that. That's so funny that we're, Charles Burnett seems so much older than Scorsese, and then we're about to watch Scorsese's new film coming out <laughs> tonight. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. That that is funny. Uh, that is funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether uh, I've seen any. Like, it'd be interesting to see whether there's any movies that are directly influenced by Killer of Sheep. I don't know. I don't know that I can pick any out that I was. I would be like, oh yeah, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. They, I'm sure, more or less, there was tons of movies that have been. 
now influenced by movies that were influenced by this movie David Gordon Green's influence or uh, David Gordon Green's debut George Washington okay and a lot of a lot of things that were happening in these film uh, in these schools like UCLA and New York University um, during this time was it was called the LA Rebellion um, specifically in UCLA where a group of these young black political minded artists were giving you know trading ideas and giving out different uh, scripts for films um, but Burnett denied that he was a part of this <laughs> interesting he, he I mean want, that that seems consistent with him yeah it's interesting he wanted emotional realism he didn't want to be part of this political movement um, he said it was he said although UCLA was pretty radical and they were pretty anti-establishment uh, <laughs> in their uh, filmmaking <laughs> sector so um, take that as you as you will um, yeah not not entirely surprising yeah but anyway do you have any closing remarks for this film Ben? any big things that you want to give away no i i feel like we uh we hit on a lot of the things that that i felt were important from this movie a lot of the scenes that stuck out to you i think were the same ones that stuck out with to me with the marriage um there was one moment where they were walking he and what's the other guy's name stan's like friend I cannot remember. I can that they don't say people's names very much. Eugene, I think. I think Eugene. Could be wrong. Stan and Eugene are walking back and they're just like they're it the camera shows them walking through this building with they and they're both smoking cigarettes and for some reason at that moment I was like, "Wow, this movie is really beautifully shot." I don't know why it was that, but it's just like the like you said with the grittiness and the handheld cameras and the distinct style, the graininess of the of the film it all feels uh, like intentional and like it knows what it's doing and i always appreciate when you can just recognize usually all good movies like everything has a reason that it's a certain way it's not just like oh we randomly decided to do this but some movies are just you can just pick out easier that okay that there's a vision here of why they did this and i think killer of sheep for being such a abstract movie has like kind of a clear vision of what it wants to do so that's kind of the paradox of killer of sheep yeah i'd say that's a yeah that's a good summation um yeah i don't have anything else to say i think charles burnett i'd love to oh, and has love a, to watch more of his amazing work. soundtrack oh yes i mean we I th- yeah Maybe I maybe we talked about it before we started recording, so I thought we talked about it. But the soundtrack really just held this film together. I mean, they repeated they repeated one of the songs, and it was still pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I think it was a good lens. I don't I'm, I didn't grow up in these places. I won't I won't say that I haven't grown up in these places, so I don't know how good this lens is. And every situation's different, obviously. Every neighborhood's different. Every family's different. Um, but if Charles Burnett is showing what it was like for him to live in these neighborhoods, then, you know, if he's trying to be as emotionally realistic as he can, then it sounded tough. It really did. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad I watched this film, uh, just to kind of think, um, think upon these things. Um, yeah. And then see kind of like how, what it is today, what has changed, what hasn't changed. Um, so that's pretty much it. But I do see... At first, when I when I first finished the film, I was like, "Why is this in the top 100 films to watch of all time?" But after reminiscing and thinking about it a little bit more, 
I think I understand. I think it's important. It may it might not be as fun as a lot of films, um, but it's definitely an important film because sometimes films are supposed to be tentpoles for movements. Even though Charles denies any movement is happening here, this was kind of a movement because it was such a big influence. Um, so sorry, Charles. Yeah, and uh, just another brief tidbit of trivia that I'm finding is that Steven Soderbergh, uh, a famous director, helped. Uh, cover the cost of licensing the music oh. for the movie. So that's interesting. But um, sometimes you need a little help. If Stephen has there. your back, you know you're good. <coughs> yep, that's true. All right, and with that, I guess we can close the vault. Yep. Any other uh, life-changing things you need to tell me? Uh, or no? Not right now. I mean, Any life-changing are you going to wait three months to tell me I, again? I'll probably wait three months. Okay. How about you? Yeah, I'll wait three months. Okay, fair enough. Time to close the vault. All right. Bah! Bah!